Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni, on VSIN, the sports betting network. Tag it as we welcome you into the Lombardi line presented by DraftKings alongside Mike Lombardi. I'm Stormy Bonantoni, producer Elliot Bowman on the controls. we got a great show on tap over the next two hours. The franchise tag window is officially open, so we'll dive into all the layers of what that means and some potential candidates for the tag. Our exit interviews and division briefs will continue today in the AFC and NFC South. Plus, it's lying season, so which rumors are worth taking stock in and which ones are not, Michael? Hello, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. I got a question for you. Are you into the, do you do much work on the Oscars? Are you big into looking at the movies to kind of figure out what, can you have movies too, like you handicap football and basketball? So unfortunately I cannot, the Oscars, like maybe I'm off base, but I just really like stupid comedic movies or like <laughs> murder mystery stuff. The Oscar movies, the movies that win these awards, I feel like I never actually like, so I don't go through the process yeah. of watching them all. Do you? Uh, well, I, I, some of the ones that win, I probably don't understand. It's a little bit like I'm watching uh, True Detective and I don't get it, but I'm, I'm I'm hanging in there. You know, obviously I'm not smart enough to figure this out. But yeah, no, I can't. Sometimes I just can't watch them all, but I like to kind of learn about it. I watched uh, the reason I asked is because I watched Oppenheimer. I devoted three hours to Oppenheimer and I feel like, you know, like that was a commitment. You know, that yeah. was a full commitment. So, uh, so what's the rating? Know, what's the review uh, on Oppenheimer for Michael Lombardi? I thought it was really good. I thought it was outstanding. I think the guy who played Oppenheimer should win an Academy Award. I thought the writing was good. It was long, but I didn't find it boring. I found it interesting. Uh, I found it to be, you know, for to me, one of the things I like is I have more questions that need to be answered. You know, one of the things I think whatever you do something in writing or you do something in film, you always want to have you leave something where somebody says, ah, I need to do more homework on that. I need to learn something about that. And I, and I kind of find that I, I don't want to learn everything in three hours or two hours. So I thought it was really good. It was well done. You know, I didn't know a lot about the Los Alamos project out there in terms of what actually happened and how they did it. Einstein's involvement into it and all that. So it was good. You know, I don't, I, I don't, I can't judge, I can't judge actors. Cause you know, I mean, I think, uh, every time I thought somebody would win the Academy Award, it, they didn't happen. So, yeah, uh, I, I, but I liked it. it. To me, it, it was good. And it had, it, you know, Rotten Tomatoes gave it like a 91, which usually I'm like, uh, is that good or not? Usually they're not. I don't really trust Rotten Tomatoes ratings either, to be honest with you. But that's a that's a story for another day. But I agree yeah. with you. I, I've seen well, Oppenheimer. Well, I like that. Tomatoes would be similar to pro football focus. Could we make that comparison? 
That's a, I would say that's pretty valid, Michael. That's a really good transition. Yeah, I, think, I think we could draw that line, can't we? Yeah. I absolutely do. And just, I, I did see Oppenheimer. I liked it too. I think like you, we both also like things that are based on a true story or based on history. Like that's why I yeah. love, one of my favorite shows is Band of Brothers because it takes you back to that time and things that really mm -hmm. happened. So those types of things I think are valuable. Um, but because you, you know, you, you make the transition to football and pro football focus. We did get some college football news today. Uh, I, I love yeah. when we can get off-season news, but apparently the CFP committee has unanimously approved the model for the 12-team playoffs. So finally formalizing that 5 plus 12 model. It was a 6 plus 6, but this will guarantee the five highest-ranked conference champions inclusion to the 12-team playoff model this fall, along with the next seven highest-ranked teams. So um, still a lot more to figure out beyond 2024 and 2025 but at least for the next two years we know that this is going to be the model and so uh, you have to explain it so the college football there we got 12 five yes. do they so is one through five are they the five highest ranked conference champions and the top four of those conference champions get the first round by i got it and then five place 12 Six plays 11. And do we know the weekends of that or have they, they haven't declared that yet? You know, they put dates out earlier. I'd have to look them up. Um, but yes, there are dates out there. I'd have to just go through. Maybe we can do that in the next. But I was break. wondering how it's going to affect pro football as we watch the pro football on weekends and Saturday. You know, in December's filled with a lot of pro football. I wonder if they're going to. No. Looks like, okay, we'll have to reconnect back uh, with Michael on that one as something happened with his setup. But um, again, the news, I'll have to look up the dates and maybe we can do that a little bit later on as we start to go through things. But the news in college football is that we do have a, a finalized format. The thing, though, that Pete Thamel tweeted about, which I also think is interesting and is another layer to this, is while we know what that format is going to be. There's still a whole lot to figure out from a broadcast rights standpoint. Um, Thamel, of course, college football insider over there at ESPN. You can see him on College Game Day and a bunch of other programs. But he said he, that uh, there's a lot of issues for monetary distribution and access that they have to hash out for the next season. But at least this one step is complete. And there was also a report that ESPN is on the verge of potentially pulling their deal for um, the broadcast rights that they put forth recently because the committee's taken so long to confirm certain terms. So an important thing in college football for us to keep tabs on. And again, this is just for 2024 and 25, 26 and beyond, still very much so in the air. Um, also on the show today, in addition to this little bit of college football talk, we'll get into some college basketball. Tate Frazier is going to join us coming up in about 45 minutes. Uh, our GM Shuffle friends, any of our OGs, will know him well from GM Street that he used to host with Michael back in the day. He's also host of the One Shining podcast, doing a lot of work with The Ringer. Um, so we'll get into some of the college hoops action that we have coming up tonight. Um, a couple of big games with um, Baylor taking on BYU and uh, UConn, top-ranked college basketball squad, taking on number 15, Creighton. And then later on in hour two, as I mentioned off the top, with it being the franchise tag deadline, we got the best of both worlds with two former NFL GMs, Michael and Randy Mueller, who's going to join us a little bit later. Mike, Mike, Michael, we got you back connected? Yeah, we do. I don't know what happened there. I guess they didn't appreciate my review of Oppenheimer and they just disconnected us, Stormy. I, I'm, I apologize. But I was That's asking, right. so, you know, one of the things about college football is, you know, they take that sabbatical off in December. What I really hope they do is, in December, they take kind of that time off so the teams can get ready to play, who they're going to play in the bowl games and all that. I wonder if, if, and then we're in the middle of all this transferring. So what I'm hoping for is now that they've set some standard of rules, that they'll also change into the rules of, of when you can transfer and when you can't. So we have some continuity in these bowl games. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It'll be interesting to see how all this shakes out. So they do have the 2024 and 25 schedules up for the CFP. The first round is December 20th and 21st. And then the quarterfinals, so the Fiesta Bowl and the Peach Rose Sugar Bowl, those are all on December 31st and January 1st, and then it'll go from there. So um, 
we'll talk about more college football at a later date. I think that I was talking to producer Elliot Bowman. We're going to try to get Stuart Mandel and some of those college football insiders that will join us at some point. I wanted to get your thoughts, though, quickly before we move on to franchise tag stuff. The retirement of Matthew Slater from the Patriots after 16 yeah. seasons. Any any good Slater stories you can share? You know, I don't know if there's a guy. First of all, I knew his, his dad was a offensive lineman in the league, played left tackle for the Rams. Tremendous person came to the Raiders in 2006 to be the offensive line coach with no line experience at all. Uh, Art Shell hired him along with Irv Pankey uh, to be the line coach, and really just a tremendous guy, tremendous. And and his son is every bit as good as as his father was, Jackie. And when you're around Matthew, you realize what a professional he is, and and how serious he took his craft and how he was committed to doing his job, right? You know, he didn't really play receiver, but he would help the scout team out. He didn't really play receiver, but he knew all the routes in case he had to go in the game if someone got hurt. You know, we counted him like we counted a kicker or the punter. You know, there's three or four guys that are just special teams players. They're over here. And he truly dominated the game from that position. And yet he was the ultimate teammate. He was the ultimate teammate. He, you know, he was inspiring. He would drive people to move faster, to play harder, to do the things he had to do. He was instrumental, instrumental in establishing the culture that they built within that building because he lived the culture every single day. To me, you know, look, I don't know if they put special teams players in the Hall of Fame. I'm trying to figure out why some guys aren't in. But to me, Matthew Slater is a Hall of Fame person and a Hall of Fame player at what he was asked to do. And Matthew Slater, Bill Belichick has called him the best core special teams player in NFL history. Slater wrote in a social media post shared by the Patriots today, I've given all that I possibly can to respect and honor the game, though it's time for my relationship with the game to evolve. The love I have it have for it will last a lifetime. So certainly a, a staple of the franchise following Bill Belichick on the way out of the organization, which is a, a little <laughs> bit weird to see two people that have been so stalwart for the franchise not not there anymore. Yeah, I mean, and look, it's going to be interesting to see really what the approach Mayo takes, Gerard Mayo takes in the special teams category because that place spent a lot of time, spent money on special teams players, spent time and money on developing of the special teams core group. And a lot of teams have just said, you know, we really don't want to involve, you know, we'll take the easiest path of resistance, the Rams because of their cap. But we saw the Houston Texans win games. They had the best special teams in the league. They devoted time, obviously, because Nick Cesario is from New England. He understands the importance to it. Most of the people that that are, are, are from the analytical field, they don't measure special teams like, people from the past like Belichick and and some of those guys do. So there's always that shift. I wonder how they're going to handle it. I have a sense it will not be as a committed as it was when Bill was there. Now, look, Ryland, the kicker, killed him this year. That's part of the special teams. They've got to improve in that area completely. No question. As for Slater, 10 Pro Bowls, two first-team All-Pros, three Super Bowl wings, rings with the franchise. We are going to step aside. As I mentioned off the top, it's Tuesday, February 20th, which on the NFL offseason calendar means that franchise tag window has open. We will dive into what that means and some candidates when we come back on the Lombardi line. We're just getting started and the connection will be perfect the rest of the way. Don't you worry. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real, live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. Oh, <laughs> I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun! Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All oh, my friends love it. I love that it's KidSafe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni, on VSIN, the sports betting network. If you haven't already, make sure you check out the new VSIN.com, a fresh new look for our day-to-day -day website. In addition to NBA and College Hoops Daily Best Bet articles today, professional handicapper and VSIN host Mike Somich, who joins us every Thursday here on the Lombardi Line, he's got a piece up on the website sharing the NFL futures ticket he already has in pocket and other teams whose Super Bowl 59 prices he believes could gain steam this offseason. VSIN.com, again, make sure you check it out. Has Can anyone knock off the back-to-back Champs. The Chiefs, by the way, have a couple potential franchise tag options with star defensive tackle Chris Jones and corner Legereus Sneed set to hit the free agent market. The franchise tag window opening up today. Clubs will have until March 5th to decide who and if anyone gets tagged. And so before we dive into some specific players and teams, Michael, from your perspective as a former GM, somebody who has sat in that chair in the building, what's most important for people to understand about this time frame? Everything is about can we afford to carry them on the cap? Everybody's trying to get their cap in order to, A, add players, sign their draft choices, get ready for the season, which is long, and you've got to have money to endure uh, injuries that could take place, and then understand that if you do this for a year or two years, where does it leave you? You know, the one thing I think good organizations do is they handle what we call sustainable values, which means what we do today, well, how long will it affect us down the road? Some teams have gone into what we call situational values. Well, let's just do what's best for us today and who cares what happens. And usually those teams are left with severe problems come their cap. Now, sometimes it works out, right? We saw the Bucks win a Super Bowl when they went all in. We saw the Rams win a Super Bowl. They've gone all in. So it can work, but it's very difficult. And a lot of it comes down to the tolerance of the owner in terms of how much cash over cap they're willing to spend. And we talked about it yesterday. Some teams like the Texans spent a lot of money cash over cap last year, right? And the Jets have spent enormous amounts of money cash over cap. The Browns over the last five years have been one of the highest spending teams in the league, whereas over in the last 10 years, the New England Patriots have spent no money. And so they're the 32nd team in terms of spending money. So, again, it's not always about the money. It's about the value. And so this time of the year, as a general manager, you really are a bank appraiser. You're appraising the property for the loan that you could potentially make. And you've got to be close on that because if the player doesn't play to the level, you got a bad contract. So how soon should we anticipate seeing some of these tags come through? Or is this a thing where you're exhausting all of the time that you can before you ultimately make that choice? How's that work? Well, it's, it works like this. I call you on the phone, Stormy. You represent a player. I said, look, you know, we want to try to enter it. We want to try to get something done before the franchise tag, uh, exp before we have to make a decision on the franchise tag, which is in, in early March. And the you would say back to me, well, you know, if you're going to franchise me, I would rather just play on a one-year deal that's guaranteed or give me three years at that number 
as it goes up. And so now there's the negotiation, right? So now at least we've set the platform. Okay, so let's go back to the table. All right, we think your player is in the top 10 at his position. He thinks he's in the top five. Now we've established that we're in the same ballpark. And then you go on from there and you negotiate basically what the guaranteed money is going to be and how many years it's going to be. So let's take Saquon Barkley. He's looking at Jonathan Taylor got 14 million. Why would he take less? So now you're Kevin Abrams of the Giants. You're trying to negotiate with Saquon Barkley. You know what Jonathan Taylor got. You know the structure of his contract. And do you have a tolerance to pay it? Or would it be cheaper to just franchise him for another year and just rent him for a year? Those are the conversations that are going on. Because if I call you on the phone and I can't get anything done and you just keep hanging up and not returning my phone call, which good agents will do because the threat of franchising is the best thing. Because once you get franchised, now we'll hear all the players complain. But it's the best thing that could happen because they're going to end up making 120% of next year's money, even though they won't have it all guaranteed. Yeah, okay. So we thought that it would be fun then to play a little game of sign them, tag them, or let them walk. And because you're already teeing up the Saquon Barkley conversation, I guess we can we can start with that one. What would you do with Saquon Barkley if you're in the giant shoes? Uh, sign them, tag them, or let them walk? I let him. I would. I would let him walk. I would only sign him to a contract that I thought was the right contract for us. I know he's a really good player, but the league has taught us that running backs come around quite a bit. They get injured, and every year that you sign a back who gets older, the value of that player goes down. Look, let me ask you this question: If you had a crystal ball on Tony Pollard today, the way he played this year, you think the Cowboys would have franchised him? No chance. No chance. And so to me, you've got to say, okay, Saquon, I know you've, you've probably, you know, it's been three years since your knee. You've missed some games, but you've been relatively healthy. You're really a good player. But you want, if you want to make $14 million, uh, over three years per year, you know, that, that's just out of our – we can't afford to do that. We have too many other areas. We can find a running back. I don't think it would happen because of all the other people in Dallas that have to get paid, but I would love to see Saquon with a star on his helmet. I think that could be very interesting, yeah. uh, especially within the division. Um, but, okay, let's go to another one because the expectation is that the Bengals are going to tag their wide receiver, T. Higgins. Sign him, tag him, or let him walk. T. Higgins, his franchise tag value sitting $20.7 million. You know, I would franchise him. Uh, I would, you know, knowing that i got to have to sign. Whatever I do with Higgins – you're going to have to do it again with Chase. So here, here's the rub. Can I really have $45 million per year in two receivers? Probably not, right? So I would sign Higgins. I would, tr I would franchise Higgins. And then next year, try to sign Chase to a long-term deal. I don't think I can afford both, but I have another year of them. I'll let Boyd go, let him walk. We've drafted receivers. We'll see if we can get them up to speed. But you put this much money into the receivers, your right tackle, Jonah Williams, isn't going to be back because, A, he's probably not worth what he want, what he's asking for, and can you afford it? Now, they have $60 million of cap room. They have the cap room, but that cap room is going to get eaten fairly quickly until they do the chase deal. So I would sign Higgins for I would I would just say to him, look, we're franchising you one year. That's it. Yeah, this is the one-year solution to keep the core of that band together as Joe Burrow comes back healthy, see if they can make a push for the Super Bowl and supplant the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC. How about Panthers defensive end Brian Burns? Teams have tried to trade for him in the past. The team has not budged. His tag value is $20.2 million. Sign him, tag him, or let him walk? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tag him. Again, you know, I think to me, they've turned down so many opportunities to trade him. I think they have to do it, right? I think they have to. And I don't think he's an elite. Look, I think he's a good pass rusher. I don't think he tilts the field, you know, but I think these guys are making really good money, you know, and we saw Sweat's contract come in, you know, he got eight sacks last year. He's, you know, he can play, make a difference in the game. But for me, with the cap room that they have, I'd probably do it for one year. I don't know if I would enter into a long-term deal. I think Burns is a good player. I don't think he tilts the field. And I don't want to sign a guy that doesn't tilt the field. I need pass rushers, no question. But to me, I, I need ones that are going to get more than eight sacks. Now, in fairness to Burns, they never play from up front. <laughs> so he's never really has a chance to rush, right? They're always behind. I hate to mention that to Chris as a fan of his, but that's the reality. 
Yeah, it's okay. My husband Chris, he he understands the reality of the situation yeah, in Carolina. It's reality, all right. Yeah. He he gets it. But yeah, eight sacks in sixteen games. Did have fifty combined tackles, one forced fumble, and one fumble recovery. Elliot and I were talking about this before the show. Interesting that both Brian Burns and Josh Allen are edge rushers, but their titles because of the defenses that they play in, defensive end versus linebacker, have different tag values. So while Burns is twenty point two, Josh Allen's tag value is twenty two point seven. Sign him, tag him or let him walk? I think I'm going to tag him, you know, because look, it, it, it's interesting how he's getting two more million extra off of Burns. You would think so. Part of Burns' issue too is you got to sign Derek Brown, the defensive tackle. He's good too. How much can you have in both linemen there? So I think to me, I, I would probably ta- I would tag Josh Allen uh, and try to enter into a contract where I could get some. You've got a little bit of wiggle room here by technicality. He's really not a linebacker. He doesn't cover anybody, yeah. but he's benefiting from that, that position. It's, un, it's like the opposite of Kelsey. Kelsey's really a wide receiver, and the club benefited from him being tagged a, a tight end, but the club gave him wide receiver money because they understood it. They got it. So I think sometimes these are a little bit sketchy. He, too, coming off a career high in sacks this past year was 17 and a half. Uh, also had 17 TFLs, two forced fumbles, a pick, and 66 tackles. How about Michael Pittman? He was another one of those wide receivers that tried to get a deal done last uh, year. It didn't Elliot. happen. What? Tell Elliot what he uh, needs to I, hear. Sign him, tag him, or let him walk. I'm going to let him walk. I'm going to oh, let him, no. Michael Pittman walk. I think Michael's <laughs> a good player, but I think we can find other guys. I'm not putting $20 million into Michael Pittman. I mean, if I could sign him, that if I let him walk, it doesn't mean I don't want to sign him. But, you know, I mean, to me, I'm not tagging him for one year and going up 120% off of the tag. Four, you know, four receiving touchdowns, you're going to get me $20 million. I think he's a good player, but I think I also need other good players around him, so I'm going to hold off. We'll get back to the tag conversation a little bit later, but it, it, there are different types of tags, and there's an interesting balance. I'm curious your perspective having some of these conversations with players about how hey, we're going to tag you now, but it's just a safety net because we're trying to still work on this long-term deal and kind of how all of that works. We'll be right back. But when we return, exit interviews for the AFC South. Don't go anywhere. This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni, on VSEN, the sports betting network. If you're looking for a betting edge on college hoops, the VEASAN experts have you covered. Become a VEASAN Pro subscriber today. You'll get our daily best bet emails, 24-7 video access, the upcoming college hoops betting guide, bracket breakdowns, plus full access to everything we do at VEASAN.com, which includes our exclusive betting splits for every game. Visit VEASAN.com slash pro to subscribe today. That's V-S-I-N.com slash pro. And speaking of college basketball, Shout out to our guy TG yesterday, Thomas Gable, director of the Racing Sports yeah. at the Borgata, two for two with his college hoops plays, and I tailed him on Iowa State, and we it took we barely got there, but we got there last night, yeah. Michael. Whew. I know a Bill eighty led it with his newsletter this morning. It was great. I was, you won by you, you had nine and a half. Did you get it at nine and a half? I know it went close at eight and a half. Did I you got get nine. I got nine. But still, nice. in the wheelhouse, okay, well. we got there. Shout. Thank you, TG. Appreciate you. Also, that under, and I, I know not everybody out here is betting Mississippi Valley State, Alabama State. It's not the top <laughs> game that's on their radar. But for a game with a total around 130-ish, for it to be a 61-46 final, Pretty nice. Anybody uh, didn't really have to sweat that one out at all. So uh, kudos to TG. We'll have more college basketball in about 15 minutes when your buddy, Michael Tate Frazier from The Ringer, the One Shining podcast, he'll join us, get some of his perspective on the big games coming up today, uh, as well as big picture in college basketball. UConn, obviously the team to beat, but who could be that next team up nipping at their heels to knock them off of the pedestal? But for now, let's turn our attention back to the NFL. Yesterday, we did some exit interviews for the AFC NFC North. Let's go to the South in in both of the conferences here, starting with the AFC. We're going to kind of go through each one of these teams for anybody who was not with us yesterday, just like a team does at the end of the year with their coaches, players, personnel, exit interviews as they walk out, kind of take stock in how a team performed throughout the regular season and postseason, what they might need moving forward to improve, take that next step, or why they didn't get to the goals that they wanted to have. So let's start with the Houston Texans, Michael, who I 
think you would agree, largely exceeded expectations for the majority of people for what they had on them. D'Amico Ryans was fantastic um, as a first-year head coach. C.J. Stroud was great, and they ended up making the divisional round in the postseason. So how did you kind of summarize their year and what they need to do moving forward? Well, I think it was remarkable what they were able to accomplish because if you'd have said to me this time last year that you know that the Texans were going to compete, I would have said, well, Damien Pierce was going to have a good year, not average 2.9 a carry, you know, and, and struggle to score. But they did it really without a run game. I mean, they, Singletary came on, almost got 900 yards for them, averaged over four yards a carry. So I think as they step into this offseason, improving their run game, improving their the running back, improving the offensive line, and staying healthy up front, I think that's going to be a key thing. They've made some changes already within, I think, their the structure of their their player development program so that they can try to stay healthier because they had a lot of injuries, missed games. I think that's one. Two, they've got to get Tank Dell healthy and back on the field. He makes a huge difference in their offense. Nico Collins, they're going to have to re-sign Dalton Schultz. And then I think defensively the game plan becomes a lot easier because the way they play defense with D'Amico Ryans, it's all about the defensive front. It's all about getting guys who can pressure the quarterback. They've got to be able to do that. And, you know, they did that with they got Will Anderson to play well. Greenard is really their best rusher. I mean, Will Anderson had seven sacks. I know he won Rookie of the Year, but Greenard, and he was hurt late in the season. They've got to re-sign him. He's going to be a key guy to have on their team. So they got to keep improving that defensive front because that's the strength of what they want to do defensively. And I think if they can do that, they can be right back to where they were last year. Sure, and uh, I can already see people taking tickets for C.J. Stroud, MVP, to improve on that Offensive Rookie of the Year performance that he put up. Uh, Now, how about the Jacksonville Jaguars, Michael, who, when they beat the Houston Texans on the road on November 26th, they were 8-3 and with sights of the top seed in the AFC on their mind, and then things just fell apart. They ended up missing the playoffs altogether, losing five of their last six games, the only victory in that time coming over at the Carolina Panthers. How and why did things fall apart for Jacksonville, and how did they get back on track? Well, I think Jacksonville's got the challenge for Jacksonville is they've got to get better in their, you know, they've got to get Trevor Lawrence to play at a higher level, right? I mean, I think that's just pretty much all they got. This is where they are. They've got to get that, they've got to get that handled. They've got to get him to play to the level that he was drafted. If I said to you that, you know, uh, the seventh pick over the seventh rounder in and Brock Purdy played better, people would say, oh, no, he's a seventh rounder. Well, I'm just telling you, he played way better than him. And, and that's a concern. And so they've got to get that. They have to get that to where, it's, where they can do it, and he can make a huge difference. And then they've got to get better defensively. They made the change defensively with Mike Caldwell. They brought in the coach from Atlanta uh, as the defensive coordinator, which certainly will help because Atlanta played without a lot of talent. Atlanta played better on defense. But they've got to improve their secondary coverage. When Campbell was hurt, they weren't the same team defensively. They're going to have to get something out of Walker, the kid they picked over Hutchinson in the first round. He hasn't been the same player that Hutchinson's been. And so they're going to have to improve their front. They got Josh Allen. But they also, it all starts with, and it's not going to really change, starts with the quarterback. And can they find a way to keep the quarterback from making mistakes? And can they balance their offense? Because they become very predominantly a pass team without any physicality to them, which has been a trademark of of what we've seen out of Doug Peterson. So it starts with the quarterback here. Yeah, and obviously health was an issue for him as well as a number of players as well. Christian Kirk down the stretch, Zay Jones, um, Cam Robinson missed a number of starts, although a handful of those obviously due to suspension as well. Um, Speaking of injuries, the Indianapolis Colts had a major injury to their rookie quarterback, Anthony Richardson, who was turning a lot of heads early on in the season when he took over as QB1. What do you look when you look at the Indianapolis Colts? Um, was it just the quarterback position, why they didn't reach their full potential, or what is next for our guy Elliott's team moving forward? Well, I think Gardner did a decent job. He's Gardner Minshew, right? He did a decent job. I think, to me, getting Richardson back certainly helps them, and they've got to get healthy. Their problems, to me, are on defense. Can they be good enough on defense? You know, their front's not nearly what it needs to be to run this scheme. 
You know, we talk about it in the Super Bowl. When you run basically a zone concept scheme like they do in Indianapolis and you don't threaten the quarterback and you don't take the game over like they didn't do against the Texans, you're vulnerable. They had the Texans. They could have easily beat the Texans in that game. You know, they just couldn't get off the field. They had a second and 20, and they let them throw a 15-yard check down because of the way they play zone coverage. So I, I think the pressure's on Gus Bradley, but I think the pressure's more on Shane Steichen to change Gus Bradley because this, this defense is just going to be too soft when you've got to win games. And if you don't have a dominant rusher, you know, whether it's Pay, whether it's Mbuka, You've got to be able to really rush the passer well and dominate from inside. And, you know, Grover Stewart's a good player. He's a free agent. What are they going to do with him, right? Buckner's getting older, right? He's an older player now. So they've got to improve the defensive front. Richardson's going to make them better offensively just by his skill set. They're going to need to make sure they have a backup quarterback with him too because he played two games, barely got hit, and was missing games already. Yeah, plays the football – Plays football with a very physical style, that's for sure. The Colts finished the season 9-8, and eight, uh, tied with the Jags for the in-season record. Tennessee Titans end up finishing last in the AFC South, 6-11. and 11, Cost Mike Vrabel his job, insteps Brian Callahan as the new head coach. Certainly the offensive line and hiring his dad to help up that group will be significant for Tennessee moving forward. What's the, what's the ceiling and floor for this team moving forward? Well, I think it's all attached to Levis, right? They've gone, they put all the chips in the middle of the table with Will Levis. They've said, hey, he's our guy. We need him to be the player, and we're going to improve that. But more than anything, if, if, you, are, if you are Rand Carthon, you, you've got to sit there and say, look, we've missed on so many first-round picks here. You know, we've got, to, we've got to improve our overall talent base. And I think that's going to be the key. And starts with the offensive line. Now, they had a good offseason in terms of they get Bill Callahan to come in and help coach the line. But they don't really have a left tackle. The right tackle's problematic. I mean, it's going to take some work here because even the guys they signed last year didn't come through for them. They need more talent in the offensive line. They need better skill around Levis, right? They need a a better skilled team. This is a team that really, I felt like, overachieved because of Rabel. Their defense, really, when it got hurt last year, they couldn't cover anybody. The secondary was poor, and now they've got a bunch of free agents in the secondary and a bunch of free agents on defense. So, got a ton of cap room. I'm sure they're going to spend some money. But to me, it starts with their offensive and defensive line. They've got to get somebody next to Simmons that can play. You know, they had Tarrant in there. When he was going good, it was good. But then he decided he didn't want to play and they end up cutting him. So they're going to have to get better up front. And they got to find better rushers, too. Landry was hurt. They just don't have enough talent. I mean, it's everywhere, but it starts with the line in Tennessee, and it starts with the quarterback. Can he play better? Yeah, and I I really look to the hire of Bill Callahan for that offensive line. We know, obviously, what what he has done as an O-line guru, what he did for the Browns, and we'll see um, if he can carry some of that over in Tennessee because Will Will Levis is certainly going to need it. Let's hit the break here. When we come back, we'll turn our attention back to some college hoops. Tate Frazier of the One Shining Podcast is going to join us, get some of his perspective big picture on on college basketball. There's been a lot of chaos this year. UConn has been the one constant. Can anyone knock them off as they look to defend their title? We'll be right back on the Lombardi line. This is Visa Neat Sports Betting Network. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. 
I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni, on VSEN, the sports betting network. This week on DraftKings Sportsbook, new customers can deposit $5 and get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet loses. Download the app and use the promo code VSIN when you sign up. That's V-S-I-N. DraftKings Sportsbook, the crown is yours. This is the Lombardi Line. Time to... Talk some hoops. Conference tournaments are in sight. Selection Sunday is getting closer and closer. Michael Lombardi and Stormy Tony with you as we welcome in Tate Frazier to the show, host of the One Shining podcast and Through the Ringer on the Ringer Podcast Network. Um, there's been some college hoops chaos uh, this season. Tate, I think it's fair to say, and I'm not just talking about the brawl with Incarnate Word yesterday. There's been a lot of, <laughs> yeah. a lot of shakeup. What's been the most surprising or just the biggest takeaway you've had from the year to this point? Yeah, I think at this point, uh, first, it's great to be with you guys. I, I always enjoy talking college basketball and seeing my guy Lombardi. Um, but yeah, I think the shocking <laughs> thing this year is that UConn is actually the dominant force again. Uh, they lost three of their best players. They lost Adama Sanogo, the most outstanding player from the Final Four. But uh, you run it back a year later, and Dan Hurley's still in the mountaintop of college basketball. And uh, we're all trying to figure out how do you stop the UConn Huskies? You know, it's kind of a redux of last year, which uh, if you told me in November, December, that would be the case. I would I would have been a little bit shocked, but um, you know, it's kudos to UConn because they they kind of look like an un, unstoppable force at this point. When you saw Tate Frazier, great to have you. It's always good to see it. When you heard Rick Patino rip his team the other day, oh my goodness! And then he came out and said he wasn't ripping anybody. What was your initial thoughts? I mean, didn't he? Isn't this the team that he built? Yeah, he uh, he looks dead inside Lombardi. I, I'm starting to get worried about him. I said he needs to do have a wellness check. Um, you know, he, you know, he said this is a quote for him. He said, "For me, I've always enjoyed the first year, and I'm not going to lie to you. This is the most unenjoyable experience of my lifetime." Um, and he, you know, went back to the Celtics days, you know, Bill Simmons, uh, you know, was telling me that the Celtics were the worst times, uh, in Rick Pitino's life. So he has officially said, this is the worst year of his life. He has, uh, you know, reached that, um, you know, part of the season, but yeah, I mean, they, they were on their way to the NCAA tournament. It, it looked like it was all good, but now they've lost eight of their last 10 games and we're talking to NIT and, um, you know, he's starting to point the fingers. I think the tough love worked in the late nineties, early two thousands, but, uh, the tough love is not necessarily working with this team. And now you just got a lot of finger pointing and, uh, you know, he's talking about the facilities are crappy and all this sort of stuff. So, um, we love Rick. I, I wanted Rick to have a fun year, but it is not fun right now. And, uh, he says that, uh, he might jump in the East river, uh, at this rate. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the finger pointing, it's the lack of accountability for me, where he's talking about his team's toughness and like different, like just goes through <laughs> one by one. These players are like, you picked these guys and you're their coach. Like if they're not tough, isn't some of that on you? 
Yeah, I would think so. I, yeah, like you said, he kind of went down the whole roster. He's like Joel Soriano, who's his best player. He says he's slow laterally. Uh, Brady Dunlap, who's the the kid that came from Harvard Westlake out here in Los Angeles, uh, you know, he said that he's too small physically. Um, and you know, funny enough, if you go back about you know eight months ago, there's quotes from Rick talking about how much he loves this team and how this roster is built yeah. to make a run in the Big East. Um, so <laughs> obviously, a lot has changed, uh, you know, over the past eight months. And uh, he says they have no tough. Toughness. And I, I think that's his way to kind of prod them a little bit to show that toughness. But I'm not sure that message is getting across to his team. You know, when when Marquette got r- r- just destroyed by UConn, did that shock you the other day? I mean, Marquette's a really good team. You know, they're 19 and five, well coached. And UConn just kind of handled them rather easily. Did, did that surprise you? I just think UConn's getting better um, as the season is going on, and Klingon especially is getting healthier. And I think at the start of the year, the reason that UConn, well, you could kind of get at them a little bit is because, you know, Klingon's feet, um, you know, there, there was just something going on there where he just wasn't moving um, as quick laterally, as I'm sure Rick Patino would point out. Um, his lateral quickness wasn't there. But um, as he's getting healthier, um, this team is, <laughs> is a different type of team. And, uh, you know, Cam Spencer is kind of like Dan Hurley on the court. Um, he's like a JJ Reddick type guy. I mean, um, if he's your guy, you love him. If he's not your guy, you probably hate him. But, um, he, you know, he obviously has kind of the spirit of this team. Alex Caravan is a name um, that last year was important to this team that we don't talk enough about. But when those two guys are hitting shots and they're making outside shots, I mean, th- this team can beat you inside out. They run great sets. Um, even when they're up 20 and they make mistakes, I mean, Dan Hurley coaches them hard and uh, it doesn't matter what the score is. I, I just think UConn is on a different plane than everybody else. For, for the majority of the year, everybody wanted to put UConn and Purdue kind of on their their own plane. But I think we're, we're firmly in the camp now where UConn is their own kind of dominant team. And when they have a guy like Stefan Castle, who's a lottery pick, uh, who's kind of just like a breaking case of emergency player, you know, it's good. They're a five to one favorite to repeat and win it all. How wide is that gap in your mind between the Huskies and everybody else? I think it's pretty wide, Stormy. I, I last year they won every game in the tournament by double digits, and the entire time that they were making that run, we just kept saying, "Well, someone um, make this UConn team have to play under pressure um, and not be able to play from the front." And I still think that's the case with this team this year. I mean, you just want some team that can kind of smack them in the mouth early in a game and see how they react. Seton Hall, um, shout out to Shaheen Holloway. They're pretty much the only team that I've seen be able to do that with their toughness. Um, But in the NCAA tournament, if they get matched up and they get ahead and they get ahead early, um, it's kind of just like uh, the the recipe is the same. And just the way that they're coached, I love their coaching staff. Luke Murray, one of the best assistants in the country. So it's really hard pressed for me to see a team that can knock them out. I think there's probably five or six teams that could legit knock out UConn. Maybe there's a team like a Washington state. That's like an eight, nine that could maybe, you know, surprise them with their talent level and shock them earlier in the tournament. We've seen defending champs struggle in that eight, nine game. We saw Baylor against North Carolina in 22 struggle with that. We saw uh, Villanova in 2017 after they won in 2016, they lose to Wisconsin in that eight, nine game. So maybe you try to get them early when you are not expecting uh, to be playing a high level team earlier in the tournament. But um, a lot of things have to go right for you to beat UConn this year. So who who are some of those other teams that, that you're looking at this year that could be potential contenders for a national championship, if not UConn. Yeah, so if it's not UConn, uh, I think Sin is probably like if you're a Kim Pom guy, uh, if you're someone that's a, about <laughs> oh, the Michael metrics is. and about Michael the numbers, loves that. Uh, he loves a lot of oh, people I love, uh, love this Houston team. I love that Kim Pom. Yeah, he. Lo- he- <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? Uh, Steve Peichel said the other day, Lombardi, you'll like this. Uh, he he wants to play Kim Palm one on one head coach of Rutgers. So, uh, you know, there's there's been some coaches putting some pushback on uh, the Kim Palm formulas. But Houston is a darling because of their defense. Um, so that's a team, obviously, that you have to watch out for because of their toughness, their physicality. Kelvin Sampson's one of the best coaches in the country. Got a great culture there. Arizona is a team that, um, you know, I was in love with last year. I think I remember, you know, telling you guys about this team and they, of course, go in the tournament and, and get upset by Princeton in the first round. But I, I do like this Arizona team. I like their top seven guys. 
The only thing that kind of worries me about Arizona is that Caleb Love, uh, former Carolina star, is is their best player on their team and, and a guy you kind of have to rely on there. So that can be a little bit finicky. Um, Marquette's a team that I like, but after this weekend, I, I'm a little bit hesitant on them. Um, and North Carolina, my North Carolina Tar Heels, I, I think uh, R.J. Davis and Harrison Ingram are really the top two guys on this team. The energy of Harrison Ingram, the way that he's able to connect these guys on this team, play out of the post rebound the basketball, kind of take some of that pressure away from Baycott to be um, the number one primary guy to, to get rebounds for this team. So I think Carolina's in the mix as well. And then Iowa State in the Big 12 is another team that I think a lot of people are not talking enough about because TJ Otzelberger is one of the best coaches in the country. And um, they're a team at 20 to 1. I'm looking at the odds right there that might be worth taking a shot on. How about take Frazier? How about Indiana State? I know they got blown out. They got beat by Illinois State at home on on Tuesday. But, you know, when you go through the numbers, uh, not not that I'm Ken Palm, but they're two in the <laughs> nation in percent of, of shots taken from the three point line. They're number one in effective field goal percentage and their best their best player, Oliva. Uh, he's 6'10". He's you know he's 240 pounds. He can dribble, pass, and he shoots really well. Like is there is there am I like out in left field thinking that they could surprise some people? Yeah, I think they're one of those teams that is like first week in um, Indiana State. If they could get in as an at-large, uh, it would be interesting to see what happens there because Drake also in their conference is a really good team with Tucker DeVries uh, and Coach DeVries. Um, so they, they got two teams that I think cause should be in the NCAA tournament. We'll see how that all kind of shakes out. But Robbie Avila, like you said, I mean, he's a point center. They're calling him Baby Yoker. Um, so uh, the the fact that he's going to you know wear the rec specs and kind of be a star of March feels um, a little bit inevitable at this point. So, uh, yeah, I think Indiana State is a, is a good group. They have a great coach who's going to be one of the hottest names, you know, in the country once we get into, uh, you know, the hiring season uh, in college basketball. So Indiana State's definitely a team, especially if they're like a 13-4, 12-5 type of game. It's worth taking a swing on, on the Sycamores. Hey, we've only got about 30 it. seconds left with you, but um, any thoughts on any of the games tonight, whether it's UConn, Creighton, Baylor, BYU, anything? Yeah, UConn's never won in Omaha. Um, they're 0-3 all-time in Omaha. They have actually lost their last 20 games on the road against top 25 teams, AP top 25 teams. The last time that they won a road game against an AP top 25 team was 2014. Um, so it has been a, it's been a long time for UConn to go wow. get a win. So uh, watch out for uh, the Huskies tonight. So we'll see what happens. They are a three-point favorite in that one, total 143.5. Tate, you're awesome. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Tate. Of course. Appreciate you guys. Tate Frazier doing great stuff for the ringer and our GM shuffle crew, of course, remembers him from the GM street days. Always appreciate him linking yep, back up with us. Bet. We'll be right back on the Lombardi line. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 infinity QX 80 live March 20th from the edge at Hudson yards in New York city. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free at 